0: And today I wanted to close up our series on relationship and marriage, and uh, I think it's something we always need to tackle, but this year as, as we were kind of focusing on these ideas, I started from a place of our needs, our needs and, and what we need in our life and everything, but today is really the most important message, and you don't have to be married single, it doesn't matter what status you're in in life, this message is for everyone because how many people here realize that you are the bride of Christ? Your most important marriage is not to the person you're married to or the person you might be married to because at some point you're going to walk into the heavenlies by yourself. So how many people would like to know what God's love language is? How many people would like to know what God wants and is seeking from us in his relationship with us. I don't know about you, but this I, I would want to know this. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 1, and I'm reading from the ESV only because I, I wasn't planning on reading this um, in its entirety, but you'll, you'll understand why I'm reading this, because Mark goes through pains to let us know this all happened on the same day. He wants us to know this is a very busy day for Jesus. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, well, I'll start along uh, right after the temptation of Jesus. Verse 14, my Bible says this is when Jesus begins his ministry. It says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom's at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he sees Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, "Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men." And immediately they left their nets. They followed him. Going on further, he sees James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were, were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he calls them, and they left Zebedee in the boat and, and the, with their hired servants, and they follow Jesus. So you see, Jesus first off calling these disciples. Then Jesus keeps moving. Look, and then it says, And they went, that group, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So he, so he woke up, he called some disciples, he goes to Capernaum, goes in on the Sabbath, on a, in the synagogue he starts teaching. They were astonished, for he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he says, what do you have to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, be silent, come out of him. And this unclean spirit came out crying with a loud voice. And they were all amazed, so they questioned, what is this? A new teaching with authority. And his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding regions. And immediately he leaves the synagogue, immediately, and enters the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. You're noticing they're all still together. And Simon's mother-in-law was ill with the fever, and they tell him about her, and he came, took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left. She began to serve them. And then that same day at evening at sundown, they brought to him all of the people who were sick or oppressed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. How many people could agree this is a very busy day? That's a very full day. And what I wanted to hone in on is the next verse. After the busiest recorded day of the life of Jesus, Mark wants us to know something that rising very early in the morning, he departed, went to a desolate place, and there he And there he had a cup of coffee. And there he got a massage. And there he rested. There he took a nice nap. There he prayed. Father, we come to you in that same spirit this morning. I pray for every home, every individual under the sound of my voice. That the busyness of life, the deceitfulness of riches, the glory of even good things, the pursuits, even the bells on the cell phones. Lord, let none of that distract us from the only relationship that matters for all of eternity, I pray. Teach us your love language in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You all can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Only, there are only 52 days of Christ's life that are recorded in the Gospels. Man, how I wish we had more. You know, John says, I, you can't even put, you cannot even write books down all of the things that Jesus came and what he did, you know, but the there are only 52 highlighted days of the life of Jesus Christ that we have in our Bible, and this was the morning of the busiest recorded day in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ all the, the crowds and the miracles and the teaching and exposure to people and, and, and choosing your team and the disciples and all of these things. I, I don't know if anybody here has a job that's very intense. Does anybody here have some busy days? Anybody here ever came home very tired, very frustrated? very? Anybody had a busy day on the job? And I know as soon as you get home from your busy day on the job, you do what? You pray. You're so Christian. Here's why we don't. Because we don't have time. It's slightly inconvenient, to be honest. I don't really know how. I, I, I probably don't even really need it. Well, that's not. See, some of you are like, no, that's not, no, that's good, Pat, that's not me. I don't want you to think about it right now. Why, why don't you? Why do you, or why don't you? If you don't, don't, don't touch anybody, just think about, this is just an introspective thing. Do you? Uh, and if you don't, my question is why? Why, why don't you? See, one of the greatest revelations that we have of God in all of Scripture is that God is not just a dormant God. He is a God who is seeking you, a seeking God. He is, we can cry out all we want, you know, just to be close to you. You know, we sing songs like this. But if you ever got a glimpse from the heavenlies and you saw the pursuit of God, after each and every one of us, your mind would be blown. The links that God is going through, I mean, He sent His Son, the incarnate one, to die for you, to bring you back to Him. He will go through all types of links, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen? God is always on a mission to save souls. That's why Christianity is not a, it's not like any other religion. Because all religions have one thing in common, that people are searching for God. But Christianity is not like other religions because it's not that. It's a revelation. And it's a revelation that God is seeking out you. It's very different. It's not your pursuit of him. It's that he's looking and he's hunting and he's going after you with all of his heart. And in John 4, Jesus gets into a discussion with a Samaritan woman, which we've all heard before. And you can read it later. And Jesus touches the heart of the issue and he goes, you worship what you don't know. And we worship because salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? in spirit and in truth, right? All, all, my, all my believers know that verse. In spirit and in truth. I was listening on the ride down to Indiana uh, to John Stott and he was giving a lecture at Harvard and he was talking about the way the spirit works in our life, you know, because sometimes we can muddy these ideas in spirit and in truth. And, and he said it would be something if someone asked me to write a play like Shakespeare it would be like you know uh, how would I do that I don't know how to write like Shakespeare I'm not I don't have those same gifts and my brain doesn't work the same way but what if Shakespeare could live on the inside of you See, and and he started relating this to the way the Holy Spirit works in our life. Well, I don't know if I can live the life that Christ, I can't model Christ. What would Jesus do? I don't know if I can live that way, and that's the thing that we come to, but what if he was living on the inside of you? The Spirit of God is in us. Can I talk to some temples today? He's actively working in us so the Spirit encapsulates our feelings and our expression. And so you worship Him in spirit and in truth, which is conforming that expression to the Word of God. But we always think about that when we read that. But how many people know what the next verse says? It says, The true worshipers will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Somebody's looking it up right now. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. He's God. His love language is your worship. You know how we talked about the needs of a husband and a wife? This is what you need, and this is what she needs, and they're so different, we don't know. But God's love language is worship, and he's roaming throughout this place and throughout the earth, seeking those who will worship him. Now, you might say, now, this is just, this is just very simple at its base l- level. You might say, I don't get much out of my time with God. And it's okay. Don't judge me. Don't. Maybe you think that way. I'm just throwing out some idea. I don't get that much out of my time that I spend with God. And, and, and when I sing these songs of worship, even though it is fantastic, Joey, wherever you're at, I'm the only one who feels that way, but it is fantastic. But maybe when you're singing, it doesn't do much for you. And maybe when you talk with God, it might seem boring. And maybe when you read your Bible, you don't understand exactly what you're reading. Can I get an amen from someone? But has it ever occurred to anyone here that it makes no difference what you get out of it? Mm-hmm. I should have stayed in the Dells. Donna, I am ter- you were up here. And I'm diving slowly into this pit. What if it doesn't matter at all what you get out of it? Do you know how many people leave churches because of this issue? Well, that pastor over there, he's definitely more anointed. What do you mean by that? here's what you mean. You mean when I heard that guy preach instead of that person preach, my feelings were excited and I got something so much out of it. Anointing, anointing, anointed man of God. What? That saw. did you hear those psalmists over there? They sing so much better. They're just more anointed. What do you mean? You felt good. I like the people over there more. I can make better connections there. I can build my resume over at that church a little bit better. And so churches see this, and they try with all of their strength to convince you that we exist to make you happy and content, and we don't want to step on your toes. We don't want to say anything too touchy. Let's not talk about money today. Let's not do anything that offends anyone because it's all about you don't give up any nights for the kingdom of God. Don't sacrifice. Don't do that. They're just going to leave. Don't talk about sin and addiction and how God wants to eradicate that stuff from your life. Because that's that, what will people get out of that? How, what is in it for them? And God looks down at this mockery and he says, the thing I want is their worship, but they're so caught up in worshiping themselves. Mm -hmm. We have come into this house, gathered in his name to worship him. We have come into this house, Gathered in his name to worship him. We have come into this house. Gathered in his name to worship him. Worship him. Cry the Lord. So, for get about yourselves, concentrate on him and worship him. So, for get about yourselves. Concentrate on him and worship him. So forget about yourselves. Concentrate on him. Mm, Worship him. We should sing that song every Sunday before we start. And just highlight just in big bold, so forget about yourself, concentrate on him. Come on. Because God's love language, what he is seeking, what almost like a what he wants and needs from us is our worship. And so when we gather to worship, our goal should say, Lord. It's just not about me. I can worship through a bad sermon. I can worship through music I don't like. I can listen to a country song that says, Hallelujah. Because it's a declaration saying highest praise to God. And if it's not about me, See, worship, for a believer, worship is not a luxury. It is, it is an essential part of our life. It is not an option that we have. It is how we operate and live. It's not something that we just do on Sundays, but it is our highest occupation. And worship only comes in response to the divine revelation from God, That God has revealed himself to me personally, and my life now is to respond. You know, I, I, I've told my testimony many times uh, in, this, in this church, but for those who haven't heard it, it's just, it just a good example of what happened because I prayed that God would show up in my life because I had gotten myself some trouble in college. I know I'm the only one that that's happened to. And I prayed every day for two hours that God would help me and show up. And my cousin called me and invited me to a service at Champagne. And while I was sitting there in that service in the fourth or the fifth row on a Wednesday night, as a young college man, maybe 19 years old, the pastor spoke a word. And after he was done praying, he looks up, and it was maybe 250, 300 people in this auditorium. And he looks at me and he says, God wants me to tell you something. I still, I would be a heathen to this day if this moment never happened. I mean, I'm sure God would have worked it out. Because my mama was praying hard. <clears throat> See, sometimes if you're, pray- you're overloading on praying for your kids, God might do something dramatic. Don't give up praying. And he said, son, stand up. The first words out of his mouth, I have the tape. That's how long ago it was. It was on, it was on cassette tape. He said, son, stand up. He said, I see you've gotten into some trouble. Let me tell you why. He's called you to preach. You've grown up in the church. You've heard all of this before. But here's what he's going to have you doing for his glory. And I stood there in Champagne, weeping, 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 weeping. Like, and, and I went home. I went home. And I know this is dramatic, and this doesn't happen this way all the time for everyone but God's no respecter of persons and but I went back with all of our college buddies and I said I don't know what y'all gonna do but I'm gonna have some Bible studies I'm gonna this is going to be a house of worship y'all can do whatever you want but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord and I I would go to the bars and hand out flyers, come to my house so we can worship God, and the infectious nature of the Spirit of God transformed all the people around us. Because once I I went home with one simple thing. It wasn't, it wasn't religion. It wasn't pray three hours. It wasn't just read your Bible more. That's not what it was. It was that God revealed himself to me, and I had no option but to respond. That's it. Nothing, nothing else mattered. Now, wait a second. I thought this was on family and, and relationship. Why are we talking about worship. I want to say this. The reason why we miss this in church, folks, is oftentimes because we miss it in our homes. So it becomes something almost foreign when we come to church. I mean, it's not foreign because we live in a culture where church is a big part of our lives. But, but oftentimes, when you come to hear a sermon, you're looking for some sort of diagnosis for a preexisting condition. Don't act like those are too big of words to understand. You come here with a pre-existing condition, and you're hoping that you hear something that'll fix it. Am I right? What am I doing wrong, Pastor? Can you help my marriage? Can we do this? How can I live there? How can I kid- get? So you got this condition already going on. I'm angry. I'm depressed. I have anxiety, and you come and you hope that you will hear something that will fix and diagnose the problem. But the gospel doesn't just analyze our condition or just give us the strength and the willpower this week so that you can really do good this week. The gospel enters in, transforms us, and changes what we want to do. That is the way God's grace works in our lives through the gospel. Charles Wesley said this. He said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Ever been fast? I don't even know what fast bound means. You don't either. We don't. I, I, Joanna, I am fast bound in sin and nature's night. You know, this is from another world. And then he says, thine eye diffused the quickening ray. I woke and the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. His imprisoned spirit lay in sin and darkest night, nature's night. I can only imagine what desires and sins he was living in to say that, to call it a dungeon. You ever been in a dungeon of your own mess? I want you to know that only the cross of Christ can transform your existence. See, Jesus did not just come to change the prodigal who squandered the father's love and had this public rejection of God, but he also came to transform the older brother who lived in a place of the father's love, but his own self-righteousness blinded him from his own needs. Both, not just the arrogant sinner. Oh, look at that person out there. We all know they're sinning. He walks right into a place of self-righteous people and said, you need me just as much, if not more, than the person out there in the streets. And the only way to change is through a person named Jesus Christ. Here's the diagnosis. And I want to talk... I, I want you to forget the fact that we're in a church service right now. Because for some people that have come here today, your life is very hard. And, and your soul has been wounded. And maybe even going through this marriage seminar, and maybe you're dealing with divorce, or maybe you're a widow, or maybe something's happened. May, who knows what type of levels. You, it, maybe it's some sort of situation, but your life just seems like you're on a raft and you're floating from a tragedy to another tragedy and uh, there's a triumph here and you move from employment to non-employment and bad relationship to good relationship and peace to turmoil and joy and then there's despair and you're just, ah, pastor, I just came here and you were swimming in this drama and this despair and you get to church just so you can get a breath out of the water. You just get your breath here oh. I can make it through this next week, and the rest of your life is just getting by. You're just trudging along, and the goal of your life is, I just want to retire. I just want to be done. I just want to do nothing. And you walk in here, and you say, how in the world do I find my bearings and my footing Because I'm just tossed here and there. There's no joy. There's no peace. I don't understand it. I have moments, but it just never lasts. How do I get stable? I'm hoping I hear a word today. And I've said this before, but there's an old Chinese proverb that says, if you want to know what the water is, don't ask the fish. Because the fish doesn't know any other kind of existence except being submerged in the monotony of this watery thing that he's in. And to the fish, no other existence is possible. The fish cannot conceive of anything by which to measure its own experience. So we look up beyond our existence and we say, is there someone outside of the fishbowl that can help? Please help. I'm in the water. This is all I know. Triumph, tri- ah, Lord, Is there anyone that can help? We need an anchor. And the anchor are the words of God. See, when Satan comes and Jesus, he offers him... This moment of self glorifying power, this moment where you're big enough and you're able to overcome and you're able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He says, Satan says, Look, do this and I will give you the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written. See, the word is this deep anchor for our soul that goes beyond our existence, it is a lamp. Unto my feet, and a light unto my path. You find instruction for every battle you go against. But see, the word is transforming. I was talking about this uh, yesterday at at the men's conference, that Romans 12, verse 1, when it says, you know, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable act of worship. And then immediately after he goes to this idea of you, you dying and giving yourself over, he goes, therefore, you won't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But rather, you'll think of yourself with sober judgment. You ever thought about that? See, when you're grounded in the word and your life is submitted to God, you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Let me explain it in a different way. When you have that great promotion, you don't celebrate too much. When you find that person that you've always been waiting for your whole life, you're not too happy. You're You're not too happy. You think of yourself a little more soberly. But also, when someone dies, you're not too sad. And when you lose that job, you're not too sad. See, the word grounds us in a, in a deeper perspective than just our situation because the word transcends every experience of my life, whether it's good or bad. You want to know how you can walk through this life and have joy in the midst of a trial? It's because you're not functioning on the same plane as all the other fish but you're listening to the voice of someone outside of our existence giving us the diagnosis of our problem. Don't get, you're having a good day, well great, don't get too happy. You're having a bad day, I'm sorry about that, but don't get too sad. Be a little more sober. The word. At the transfiguration of Jesus, I want to illustrate this point. At the transfiguration of Jesus, Jesus takes the big three, Peter, James, and John, up to the top of a mountaintop. And they, when they get up there, they see Jesus begin to glow. Just sort of like this, There's this revelation of who he is, and, and his clothes become white as light. And, and Moses and Elijah descend onto this mountaintop, and they, they begin to have this conversation with Jesus. I would love to see what that was like. And then a voice from heaven says, this is the voice of God himself. He says, this is my son in whom I am pleased. You need to listen to him. And the three disciples fall on their faces. And when they gather their composure, Peter says, Jesus, we should stay here forever and never go down into the city again. He got a little too excited. And Jesus says there's still work to be done, and that glorious experience was no substitute. It is, an, it is but a shade. It is not a substitute for the eternal reality that I'm bringing everyone into. I know you want to stay in this glorious moment, but I'm bringing everyone into something far greater, and there's this work that needs to be done. And when Peter later on begins to describe this moment in his life, he goes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, he says, We didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard that voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the mountain." And now we have the word made more certain. And you will do a t- great attention to pay attention to this word. It's a light. This is Peter, a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises. Where? In your hearts. mm Mmm. You want help in that pit. Jesus, what do you have to say today? Give me a word, God, that will transcend my experience and transform my life from the inside out. We live a very dangerous life when our experience is our only anchor. God really touched me when I went to church today. Hallelujah. I felt him today. I'd hate to see you on a bad day. God wasn't even there. I don't even know if I'm in the right place. You know how you get. I was really on fire today. The Lord was moving. See, the focus of our lives should not be a mountaintop experience, and it shouldn't be the face of evil or a valley or some sort of tragedy that defined us. The focus is always the word of God made more certain. See, our confidence rests in the sovereignty of God over all of history and his care for us is personal in these times of tragedy or overwhelming. God is still there no matter what circumstance you're in. Touch someone and say, God is still there. Look at someone else and say, I don't care what you're going through, but God is still there. Come on, I wanna talk to some believers today. St. Augustine, when he wrote one of his masterpieces, The City of God, while Rome was being ransacked by barbarians, and the consolation he was bringing to people, losing their city and their families, and even though Rome had so much grandeur, so much significance, so much awe, St. Augustine said, let me tell you of an eternal city. You want, to know the, you want to know how we deal with the tragedies, like the tragedy that happened this last week? Or what if Chicago was burning? Would you have the confidence to sit back and say, it's okay, let me tell you of an eternal city? Because Rome was far more important at that time than Chicago is this day. And he says, we must look beyond this. Or as Isaiah says it better, he says, come all you who are thirsty, Come to the waters and you who have no money, maybe finances has been your big struggle this year. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost, Isaiah 55. And he says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on that which does not satisfy Listen, and listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear, and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live. I love that song. It was written by Shane and Shane. With that. I delight myself in the richest of fares, trading all that I have for all that is better. A garment of praise for my heaviness. This love is the greatest taste, it's the richest. He wants to trade beauty for your ashes. Or, in other words, just taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I'm going to close with two illustrations of this. And one of God's faithful missionaries, Alan Gardiner, experienced many physical difficulties and hardships throughout his service to Christ. And despite his troubles, he said this He said, While God gives me strength, failure will not daunt me. In 1851, at the age of 57, he died of disease and starvation while serving as a missionary on Picton Island at the southern tip of South America. And when his body was found, they found a diary that was next to him. And it bore his record of hunger and thirst and wounds and loneliness. And the last entry in this book showed his struggle, how he shook his hand as he tried to write legibly. So you see this crooked lettering in the back of his diary next to a man who had just died. And he says, I am overwhelmed by, with a sense of the goodness of God. When I was growing up, we would always, my mom loved to read different books, but one of the names that we heard of growing up was a lady by the name of Corrie Tim Boom. Uh, who suffered under the, the Nazi camps, and, and her, many of her family was killed, and she actually made it out of there and began to share these stories of what God had done in her life. And Corey Timboon wrote this in one of her books. She says, I, I've heard people say how good God is. We prayed that it would not rain at our church picnic, and look at the lovely weather. <laughs> this is what she said, not me. I know I was saying that too. Whoa, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Yes, God is good, she writes, when he sends good weather, but God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged there. Everything around us was dark, and there was darkness in my heart, and I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. And she says, no, Corey, he has not forgotten us. Remember his word, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And Corey cl- concludes she says, there, in an o- there is an ocean of God's love that's available, there is plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt that vis- victorious love, whatever your circumstances might be. He desires you. I want you to just take a moment and just close your eyes as we're all here in the presence of the Lord. and If God is speaking to you in your heart today, and today maybe it doesn't matter what you're going through. It could be something very small, and it could be the trial of your life. But maybe maybe you even feel like you're tossed about in the raft. And you're wondering, what's the sort? How do I get through this? I want you to know that God is here this morning. And he wants to bring rest. He wants to trade you. He wants to trade you, you beauty for your ashes. A garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And if that's you today, I want you to just stand with me in agreement. With every eye closed, just stand with me. If that's you and you're tossed back and forth. Because all you have to do is in one moment just turn to him. And now as a sign of just solidarity with him, let's just stretch our hands up to the heavens. And I want you, you don't need me to do this, but I want you right now to begin to talk to God. Just begin to cast your cares upon him. Don't make it a religious thing. He he knows you, your authentic self, who you are in your inner being. He knows you, and he wants the rawness of you to just communicate. Lord, every weight we walked into this place with, we cast it at your feet. You're going to feel that morning star begin to rise inside of you. And then the, the enemy comes along right in that moment and says, no, you can't. Don't you understand that relationship's not going to work out, that you already str- you've already you been struggling with this for all. You can't have joy right now, and I want to release you. We rebuke the enemy. We rebuke the devourer. Every thought that would rise up against the knowledge of God and who he is and what he's doing in your life, let it be made low. Holy Spirit, I speak the mind of Christ over every person gathered here today. Release your people, God, into the freedom of worship. Father, I thank you, Lord, that there is a release happening in this place. Mm. Lord, we give it over to you. Here's the beauty, church, as we're, as we're all standing in this holy moment. Here's the beauty of it. The freedom that God wants to give you doesn't matter of fact, this is this is the last place it happens. God is declaring today he wants to meet with you in your car. He wants to meet with you when you wake up. He just wants he loves you so much. He just wants to be in a conversation with you. He just wants you to give it over to him every day. And you got to let go of those things and begin to reach out to him wherever you are at, whatever is going. You don't have to wait for a Sunday morning service. So, Holy Spirit, teach us how to be worshiper. Teach us how to be in communion with you, God. Father, we thank you and we bless you today. Somebody give God some praise in this place. God bless you, freedom.